Welcome to the Lead and Follow podcast. I'm your host, Sharna Fabiano, author of the book, Lead and Follow. And I'm pleased to bring you the latest research, insights, and educational techniques in the emerging field of followership to help you connect and collaborate better with the people around you, whether you're leading or following. Please do leave us a review in your favorite podcast app, and thanks so much for listening. Today I'm chatting with Ruth Sims, whose current PhD research is being conducted at the University of South Australia Business School and the Research Center for Workplace Excellence. Ruth and I met online through mutual colleagues, and she's someone who believes, as I do, that workplaces need good followers and good leaders. Ruth's expert understanding of followership complements and challenges the more usual focus on leaders and leadership. With more than 20 years professional communication, planning, and change experience in the higher education sector, Ruth has leadership experience in community and professional groups and as a non-executive director. Now, through interviews and surveys of followers and leaders, Ruth's research is building out our understanding of what followers do and why followership is important in workplaces. Her findings will have practical implications for the development, selection and recruitment, and recognition of employees with followership as well as leadership capabilities. All of that sounds really exciting to me. I totally want to live in that world. So Ruth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Shana. Real pleasure to be with you. Why don't you start us off by sharing a little more about your background in higher ed and how you arrived at followership as a research topic? My, um, so all of my, almost all of my professional background has been in the university sector in Australia um, and as a professional rather than an academic staff member. So I've um, experienced working very closely with vice chancellors or or presidents, effectively CEOs, and their teams um, also in smaller groups uh, for Australian as well as uh, recruitment of international students to Australia. So a real diversity of experiences within that sector and that organisation. And I've always wondered about the emphasis that the university sector, but also more generally, I think, places on leaders and leadership. And just the assumption that the people who are doing the bulk of the work get on with it and know what to do and somehow don't know how to do it if there isn't strong and effective leadership. That puzzled me because I've been in situations where leaders have very definitely relied on those around them for their expertise, for their advice, for letting them know when the plan is perhaps not a good one. Um, I've also been in a situation where the formal leadership of a department changed. Um, There was a revolving door for a while. So I reported to, I think it was five or six people over four years. It was crazy. And yet the work of that unit got done, which really made me think this isn't all, you know, confirmed that it's not all about leadership. Now, I certainly wouldn't say leadership is unimportant, but the fact that good stuff gets done in spite of poor leadership as well as because of good leadership just opens up that question about followership and and what does that look like and what are we doing when we follow effectively 
I can totally see how those experiences brought that question to the to the fore, you know, like, wait a minute, work is getting done, you know, despite like all of this change of leadership. And what about all the people doing that? And it makes a lot of sense. It almost strikes me as like a moment of cognitive dissonance, right? When the main message is all that matters is leadership, yet, you know, what you're experiencing is not quite that. Yeah, very well said. I know it's all still in process, but I'm curious Are there any particular questions or themes that you're focusing on right now or that you're kind of excited to add to the the, the growing, you know, small but growing area of academic research around followership? One of the things that I think I'm finding is that there are some behaviors, and I'm particularly interested in followership behaviors because that... I'm looking at workplaces. Behaviour is what we do. Behaviour is what we see. It's very hard to make assumptions about what's in people's heads and yet we behaviour allows for professional development for all of that, you know, for all of that stuff. So what I've found in the literature is there's a real muddling of behaviours and attitudes when it comes to descriptions of followership. So part of what I'm doing is trying to separate those strands out a little bit. And the other thing that I'm finding is we often, in an academic sense, we call some things um, followership that we already have perfectly good labels for and understandings of. So things like um, citizenship behaviour. For example, those things that are outside somebody's job description, but that adds to the work that is done and that you see experienced people doing in a healthy workplace. What I think I'm coming across and and what I'm about to to test in some um, surveys that I've that I'm collecting is that there may be some core followership behaviors, the things that Without these couple of things, followership isn't occurring. But if if that's there and we've got that kernel, if you like, those other things are also followership. And a lot of it um, is about what do followers think they're doing. I think that perspective, that followership perspective that uh, Melissa Carsten and Mary Auburn have talked about, I think that's really important because a lot of followership research, and I suspect a lot of followership practice is still looking at leaders and leadership and what do leaders do um, and how do leaders motivate, encourage, support followers. Yeah, I, I think the point of perspective is super important, right? That depending on how you're looking at it, it's going to change the answer, right? Like if you're just thinking... Well, from a leadership point of view, here's what I need, you know, then you miss out on a lot of a lot of other things that are going on. You mentioned something I wanted to just go uh, a little deeper into that focus on behaviors or actions. Uh, I think a lot of times people who are maybe newer to this area think, oh, a, a leader is like a role, a fixed, you know, 
the manager is the leader and the employee is the follower, and that's just how it is. Um, but you're talking about leading and following more as like sets of actions or behaviors, not necessarily fixed positions or identities. Can you maybe just fill that out in your own words or how you know how you came to work with it that way? I think that we're often very quick to put that organizational structure overlay onto this stuff because that's how we understand workplaces. But I suspect we've all had managers that were not great leaders. And I suspect we or we've worked with people who didn't have a formal leadership title or position in an organization. And yet what they were doing was leadership. I think we need to be a little bit careful here because what we've tended to do is when we look at that leadership and followership um, relationship, and the, the leadership process, if you like, and we only have the word leadership for this stuff, which just makes things really complicated and difficult. <laughs> we look at that um, and we see someone who in their head is being a follower, speaking up or taking initiative, being proactive perhaps. We have a tendency to very quickly label that leadership and then you get into the everyone's a leader. That's not false, but that may not be what you're seeing here. So I, I'm i understanding leadership and followership as being very fluid, that in an organisational relationship where you have a, a manager and a staff member, that leadership and followership will actually flow. So it doesn't necessarily um, always sit with the hierarchical role. and unhitching that I think is really useful but it does mean that an individual is showing leadership behaviors or followership behaviors at a point in time that doesn't mean they are forever and a day a leader or a follower in that sort of formal organizational um, structural sense I think. Yeah, really important distinction and I'm just so aware of how the language sometimes gets in our way because we've, I don't know if you've had this experience, but discussing, you know, desired behaviors or, or model behaviors, and then all the good things will be just put in the leadership bucket, right? And I'm like, well, but maybe that bucket's getting really full, you know, <laughs> maybe we need two buckets, you know, because there's such a variety there, right? And then what happens in, in my experience is when all the good things go in the leader bucket, then the bad things go in the follower bucket. And here we have that unfortunate bias, so I, what I see your work as doing is creating the second bucket, you know, in a way and understanding that there's actually two sets of things here and identifying those and how they're different and why it's important that we see them as, as distinct. Maybe there's some examples just to kind of bring this two bucket principle home, you know, for our listeners, like uh, in your, you know, in your experience, uh, observing dynamics in, you know, various contexts and in the administration of higher ed, uh, does anything come to mind as like a an obvious example or something that we could maybe start recognizing as a leadership followership dynamic? I can I can think of a couple of personal examples. I guess so. I can recall um, a situation when I was. Uh, representing the department on a, on a very large project. There were lots of different units involved. Um, it was an IT-focused project. And there was, there was an issue with the project about a piece of information that would or wouldn't be captured very early on. 
and it was the view of the group that I was representing that this information needed to be captured and it was the view of the group that was leading the project that it wasn't so important. And I can remember having many conversations um, with my director saying, I'm pursuing this line because I think it's important to the unit. But I was very explicit in saying, I will pursue it until you tell me to stop because I think what happens in followership is, um, yes, you're, you're, you're leading an argument, you're making a case, but you're doing that in order to maybe support um, a bigger picture or to support your, your leader. So it's not that you're necessarily, you know, I will go to the wall on this if, if, if it really is important, but if I'm told we can let that go um, or enough, then it's that stepping that stepping back. So I think that's a situation where arguably I was showing leadership, but in my in my mind I certainly wasn't um, you know coordinating the project, making the final decisions, and it was about that I will keep I will keep going until I'm told this isn't useful or necessary or or we're not going to win this one, whatever it is. So I think that's an example that shows that conversation relationship and I guess also shows that an individual leads and follows, you know, interchangeably. And I suspect that someone looking in from outside might have labelled my behaviours leadership. And yet that wasn't necessarily how I was conceiving of it. I think that's a great example. How would you explain to that person who's saying, oh, but you're just being a leader, that this is actually an act of followership? I think it is about what's the reason for the actions that you're taking? Is it to to be the ultimate decision maker? Because I suspect that, I actually suspect that when it comes down to it, leadership is about making decisions. Mm-hmm. And at some point, someone needs to make a decision. And the person who does that they're the leader. And everything else that happens around that is is a mixture of leading and, and following, but the crux of leadership may be that maybe that decision making function. So I think it is about looking at what you're doing and why to what purpose. And it is with an in in this context and I think in the workplace, it's with an organizational purpose in mind. That fluidity around leadership and followership and leading and following behaviours, although from an academic perspective, I think it's really necessary to carve that out so we understand it better. And in a professional development perspective, it's really you, you need that clarity about, you know, what are you doing and why. But I think in the real world it's actually quite quite fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what is useful from, uh, from someone who's coming at this with a with a followership perspective on this is to recognize that there's followership and leadership happening and that together followership and leadership is meeting organizational aims 
I think some of the difficulty is in that the fact that these things are simultaneously occurring many times. And so as soon as you try to separate them, it starts to feel a little bit artificial. But I like the distinction you made about the purpose, right? And like, to what end am I taking this action? And something else that strikes me is character of followership. At least for me, you know, I come from a dance background. It it echoes with me as a dancer is that singular focus on a detail. And I'm not saying, you know, what you were focusing on there was simplistic or anything, you know, in any way, but the commitment, right, to a single issue or question versus the kind of more broad big picture view that a leader would be expected to hold. That strikes me as a, a like a power of the follower that in that role, they are able to give that focus and therefore to say, hey, this is an important boundary or this is important to focus on, pay attention, uh, while the leader, whether that's a single person or an, uh, a group, is busy with making the decision. Does that echo for you at all? It does. Um, I think something that I found in the interviews that I that I had and that I've also experienced is that there is an expectation that good followers will have a broader understanding. So I think that's a that's one of those things that's really tricky because you need enough and not too much because um, you can tip over into it not being helpful anymore. But the folk that I spoke to, and this um, this was in a, a public sector context, so they're, they're, they're all part of a, a very big bureaucracy doing very different roles within that. And I spoke to people both as leaders and as followers. I wanted both perspectives. But those leaders and followers were at all different levels in the organisation. So some of my followers were quite senior and some of my uh, leaders were relatively junior. They would invariably talk about not following blindly and exercising judgment and understanding the broader picture. Some were more focused on the idea that the, the, a good follower does what the leader asks them to do and does it really well. But there's always that notion that you're, you're doing that, if you're, if you're following well, you're doing that with some broader understanding of why you're doing it, what the bigger picture is, um, what, what service are you providing and what's your, what's your little bit in that puzzle. And I think what came through the interviews is that a lot of both leaders and followers see the importance of that connection and value it and feel that that makes the work that is done better, if you like, than just task completion, which, you know, might still be done to a perfectly acceptable standard, but that's not followership. Followership is something uh, beyond that. The desire for transparency seems very strong from a lot of people I speak with on teams, you know, who are answering to someone or someone's that they really want that transparency. And perhaps that's a leader action, right? That kind of communication transparency, which can then enable them to have a broader view and see how their part contributes. 
The way that I'm starting to visualize this this stuff is that both leadership and followership is about making space for each other. So when people um, talk about what makes a good leader, they'll quite often say, oh, you know, they listen to their followers, they seek advice, they're they're open, they're transparent, they allow opportunities um, for discussion, they provide feedback, they provide direction. And I think all of those things are, are true. I think what then happens is that the leader makes, makes space so that the follower and followership can move into, into that and so that followers are able to take responsibility. And so there is uh, something about accepting direction with judgment, um, accepting, and, yeah, accepting and reflecting on feedback. But followers also make space for leaders, and I think this is the bit in the conversation that is missing. So... Followers are actually stepping back and allowing leaders to lead and wanting leaders to lead. So that that fluidity and that um, making space for the other partner, but also really taking responsibility and filling the space that is made, I think that is perhaps a more holistic view of leadership and followership. Um, now, I'm seeing that in an organisational context. I suspect that could even go go broader than than the workplace. But I think when we see it working well, it is that, that you know, stepping back and then stepping, stepping into the space, um, both giving and taking responsibility in a whole range of areas. Beautiful. And dancers, of course, use that space language a lot. So it feels very familiar to me, you know, literally stepping into the space, right, that your leader has opened for you. Uh, I wonder how you see that. And you said you're very familiar with it in organizational context. Like, do, do you have any memories of when members of the organization, I'll just call them, really kind of stepped into the space or gave space for leaders to lead? I find that very uh, compelling concept, you know, because often I hear, oh, the lead, it starts with the leader, right? And they make make room for the follower somehow. Like, here's your, here's your corner. Uh, but that it's actually both things are happening. The followers at the same time making space for the leader to do to do the work. Curious if you've seen that in action or how you describe it. An example I give would be in meetings. So having worked in a university, I've been in a lot of meetings. <laughs> and when you have when you have a, one of those formal meetings that is working well, every participant in the in the meeting is allowing the chair to chair. Now, there are are half a dozen people around that table who are perfectly capable of chairing that meeting. Some of them might even do it better than the person who's got the job at the moment. But there is that, you know, almost taking a, a step back and allowing the person to play that role and then if it's done well, supporting the person to play that role. And when it's done badly... It's when you have an individual who is is bombastic or wanting to take up too much airtime or convinced that their answer is the you know the only answer. 
And that's when this, you know, it starts falling apart. And the purpose of the meet, I mean, you'd hope that meetings are called with a purpose. The purpose of the meeting is not being met. But when it works well, you've got that exchange of views, you've got um, you've got people taking what somebody else has said and acknowledging it and building on it, and you've got people allowing allowing the chairperson to chair and assisting them to do that well. I guess that's that's an example that I that I see quite you know quite often in that more formal organizational setting. I think that's a great example, particularly since chairs at apartments rotate so much, right? At least as far as you know, my my understanding goes is it's not like one chair forever, right? Like there's a chair for a period of time, and then there's a different one. At least here in the states, it it usually works that way. Mm-hmm. And I find that allowing, whether it's in an in an educational environment or in a, you know a corporate environment, is taken for granted a little bit, like. Well, obviously, you would sit here and I would lead the meeting, you know, like that, the allowing you're talking about the, you know, which is sometimes like willingly listening, willingly being silent, willingly um, waiting, you know, for that leader to determine the agenda, for example, like all these things tend to be taken for granted, and they're really not. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, once, at least like for me, like once I start to look at a group, and say, wow, all the people in this room, you know, six or 10 or 20 or 50, they are all allowing a person to speak, right? That feels like something I never want to take for granted. It feels like, wow, I've been given this gift by this group of people. And then it makes, you know, a behavior like being bombastic or aggressive even more wrong. You know, it, it seems even more horrible, you know, when you take into account the gift that you know, the gift of the attention that those people have given. I think in giving that gift, that's actually where the power lies in that situation. So we also assume that leaders leaders hold power and um, and they do hold some power um, They and, you know, that whole access to resources, all that sort of thing that comes with, with being a leader. However, I would... I'd almost go so far as to argue that followers hold the ultimate power because they can choose not to follow. And if that choice is made, then the leader's leadership is gone. And it might be in an instant or it might be over a longer period of time. But it is the follower's gift, as you put it, to the leader. Leadership is the gift the followers give to the leader. And it can't be demanded of the followers. That's coercion. You may have people going along with it, choosing, if you like, to go along with it. But I think you're then getting into that space. And I had some folk touch on this in in interviews as well, where when that leadership-followership relationship is, is damaged and the followers withdraw their followership, they will still do what they have to do to do their job. Very often, not always, but they they will complete the tasks. They'll do what the manager asks them, but they won't do what the leader asks them because that person isn't a leader anymore. So they will fulfil that contract, manager, employee, but no further. 
And I think that um, that points to the fact that followership is more than being a good employee. And it really points to the fact that followers have a lot of power in this relationship that we don't always recognize. Yeah, I'm intrigued by this distinction that you've made a couple of times now that you can complete a task, but that's not really followership. And in your preliminary research there, it sounds like there were stories of, oh, yeah, I just decided I wasn't going to follow anymore. Like, okay, I have to complete this task because, you know, I'm being paid, but I've something about me has has withdrawn. I'm curious if you've seen that in action. Have you seen it happen? Like, what's the consequences of that sort of thing? Like, what's lost when the follower just withdraws? I think what happens is you get the bare minimum of what you're trying to achieve. So I think you lose you lose all of those things that in organisations we say we say we want. We say that we want um, people to show initiative. We say that we want people to to do their best job, to make effort, to do a you know to do a good job well. You run the risk of of losing the quality of the work. I think, and then it does become um, very bureaucratic, very, you know, the paperwork is done, the computer says no. Um, You're in that sort of environment very quickly because people don't feel inclined to behave in ways that, that that solve problems, that go above and beyond, that see that broader picture. Ruth, we'll definitely have to have you back when you have your findings and you're ready to share more of your research. I'm super, super excited for that. And I just want to ask you one more question for listeners who might be now wondering, like, wait a minute, am I following or am I leading, you know, in in my job? What would you suggest for them to start observing the difference or to maybe start intentionally practicing these some of these strong followership behaviors? A couple of things. I think um, you you probably don't need to stress too much about whether you're following or leading at a moment in time. Just just do it. Um, but I think when you take a step back, I think it's that exercising of judgment that is really crucial to followership. I think it's crucial to leadership too, but it's done in a different way. So from a followership perspective, I think it is about um, not just understanding what you're doing but why. I think if you're exercising that judgment, that also means you can ask questions when something, when you don't understand something or it's not lining up or if you're in a situation where you need to, to challenge and say, you know, you've asked me to do this but it doesn't seem to me that it fits within the broader picture of what we're trying to do. Are you sure? Um, Or I disagree. It gives you that place to either knuckle down, head down, do your best work in alignment with what you believe the organisation's purpose is, what you've been told to do, or it allows you to take that – I guess, more proactive followership stance and start asking questions. If you're using judgment, you'll also know when enough is enough. I think that's really important. Ask the question, but hear the answer. 
Do you really need to go to the wall over this? Maybe you do. Possibly you don't. So it's that it's those judgment calls that I don't think followers should park and just, you know, I do I do what I do because I've been told to do it. If you're in a leadership role, I think it's really important to recognize that that's what followers are doing. That if they're behaving like that, they're not being difficult. They're not being insubordinate. They're not challenging your leadership. They're trying to do the best job they can. And so that takes confidence both from followers and leaders. So from followers, the confidence to trust your judgment and to initiate a conversation that might feel scary, um, to step into that space <laughs> that is made. Um, you've got to do that. You've got to do that confidently if you're going to do that well. Now that Again, you might do that quietly. You, you, there are ways of being confident. From a leadership perspective, I think recognising that that might be what your followers are doing and to have the, the confidence as a leader to make that space and to hear what is being said. I, I think if we can, if, if there's little more of that happening in organisations, uh, I, I think that would be quite a good thing. I agree. And I, I so appreciate how you gave a tip kind of both for looking th- from the follower lens and the leader lens and just starting to maybe see what's happening around you in a slightly different way. And I also really appreciate the mention of using one's own judgment. I think, you know, that because of the follower bias, you know, followers like less important bias, uh, I think it can be easy to think that you know, your perspective doesn't matter. Right. And because you're not making decisions, then your perspective doesn't matter. But in fact, it matters almost more. Right. Because without it, then the decision gets made without your uh, insight. So really appreciate that so much. Uh, Ruth, thank you so much for sharing this conversation with me. And I just want to ask if anyone would like to connect with you, you know, uh, in around research or followership, where's the best place for them to get in touch with you? Probably LinkedIn is a really good place to find me. I do have a, a website as well, but in terms of you know, what I'm currently thinking about and a good way to get in touch, LinkedIn is probably, uh, probably as good a way as any at the moment. Great. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. And uh, I also now thinking that there's a followership group on LinkedIn, and I always love your followership comments and so appreciate how you kind of fill out the perspective. So thank you so much for that. And thank you again for being here. Thank you, Shana. It's been an absolute pleasure. You have been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast. Special thanks to Glover Gill for composing our music. And thank you to all of our subscribers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. And if your team or organization is interested in followership training, please reach out anytime. I'd love to help.